Friday's non-tender deadline was most likely the final hurdle to get through this offseason before those signings and trades really start to be made. And the Orioles, somewhat surprisingly, didn't non-tender anyone. We'll talk about why they made those moves and who of the non-tenders could be interesting free agents for the Orioles to go after. All coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Monday, November 20th, 2023. And welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we are going to look at the Orioles' non-tender deadline as they ended up tendering a contract to all 17 of their arbitration-eligible players, including four of them who they officially agreed to terms with for the 2024 season. We'll talk a little bit about the arbitration and non-tender process and why the Orioles made the decisions that they did. And then we will jump into the players who actually were non-tendered across the league on Friday. There were a good number of them, and it certainly added to the free agent pool. So which of those players now out there could the O's be interested in? We'll get to that too coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers can get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 just if your team wins. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started today. So we'll begin today's episode with a look at the non-tender deadline. It was 6 p.m. Eastern time last week on Friday for the decisions from all 30 teams, whether or not to non-tender any of their players. So let's start with kind of the overlook of what is this? What is the non-tender deadline? What is arbitration? It's something that goes on in Major League Baseball that really doesn't exist, at least to this level, in all of the other major professional sports in the U.S. Essentially, in baseball, the common knowledge is once you get to the big leagues, You have, give or take, seven years until you hit free agency. It's basically an automatic rookie deal that players get. It's longer than any other sport that you have to stay with one team. Now, depending on service time and other things, some guys will play parts of eight seasons, some guys parts of six seasons, depending on, you know, incentives that they get or some of the new rules or when they actually come up to the big leagues and how much service time they accrue. But generally after three years in the big leagues, you start to hit arbitration. So in those first three years, you make right around the league minimum. Then when you get to your fourth season, you get a significant pay bump. And your pay is based on your performance the previous year. Now your pay can never go down. It always at least stays the same or increases. But every offseason, essentially, you either come to an agreement with your team on what you are worth... And if the two sides can't come to an agreement, well, eventually you may have to go to a third-party arbitrator who comes in and essentially looks at the number you think you're worth, looks at the number your team thinks you're worth, and makes a decision on one of those two numbers based on your 2023 stats for what you will be paid in 2024. And most players go through that four times, three or four times, before they become free agents. So the Orioles had 17 players who were within that time range of they are now arbitration eligible and they were now have a number that they'll make next year 
based on their stats from 2023. And those 17 players was actually tied for the most that any team had in baseball. The one thing it does is it's going to bump up the Orioles' payroll no matter what because all those guys are getting paid more than they did in 2023. So the Orioles had some decisions to make because you don't have to tender all of those players a contract. What you can do is non-tender someone. If you basically see a player and it's all right, he's projected in arbitration to make $4 million. And we think this player is not super important to us and is really only worth like $1.5 million as a free agent. Well, you can just non-tender the player, which essentially means we are releasing you from your contract. We're not going to pay you that $4 million. Instead, you are going to become a free agent much earlier than you would have here right in the middle of your rookie deal. And there was talk, and I talked about it on this podcast, about multiple different Orioles players who could potentially be non-tender. Jorge Mateo was one of them. He was going to be due around $3 million in arbitration. There was questions about would the O's bring him back at all, let alone for $3 million. Ramon Arias was another one just because, you know, due maybe another $3 million. How does he fit in with this team? We know John Angelos likes to be cheap. And then there were other guys like Ryan McKenna and Keegan Aiken for just, are they really still parts of the team? Or a guy like Dylan Tate, where it was, you know, he was going to be due about $2 million. And you looked at Tate and you said, I don't even know if he's going to pitch for us next year. Didn't pitch for us last year. So those were all decisions the Orioles had to make. But they decided not to do any non-tenders. They've done non-tenders in the past. Did not happen this year. All 17 arbitration-eligible players were tendered a contract. Now, that does not mean they have agreed on the number for next year. Only four of those 17 players actually agreed for their salary number for 2024. And this is another thing that trips people up, especially when this gets put out on social media and is reported on. You see the four players. They were Keegan Aiken, Sam Hilliard, the outfielder who the Orioles claimed off waivers from the Braves earlier this offseason, Jorge Mateo, and Ryan McKenna. Those were the four players who the Orioles agreed to terms with for 2024. Now, the way it's written is we have agreed to a 2024 essentially one-year contract with Keegan Aiken, with Ryan McKenna. However, that does not mean they are becoming free agents after 2024. This is the important part. That is just an agreement for what they're getting paid next season. If, say, Keegan Aiken does hold on to a roster spot and is still with the Orioles next offseason, he'll go into his second arbitration year, and he will either make the same amount of money or more money than he made in 2024 for his 2025 season, and they'll figure out another number, and they'll set that for the next year. It is confusing, but when those reports go out, that doesn't mean, oh, he's signing a one-year contract and he's going to be a free agent after next year. That's not what it is. He's under team control for you know four more years, but this is just an agreement on what he's getting paid. So John Heyman reported that Keegan Aiken will get $825,000 plus some incentives, probably about innings pitched because he was injured for most of this year with the back injury. Reported that Sam Hilliard will make $800,000, a little bit of a steal for the Orioles. Hilliard, who, again, you know, speedy, good defensive outfielder who they claim from the Braves. There's an episode a couple weeks ago about what Sam Hilliard can bring. Make sure to go back and listen to that one. But his arbitration projection, and MLB Trade Rumors does a great job of these projections every offseason, was $1.1 million. Yet the Orioles agreed to $800,000. So right there, they saved $300,000. And then Jorge Mateo was the last one, and that was the big one. Now, Ryan McKenna, it was reported that they had agreed to a number, but that number is not public yet. You can bet it's around seven to $800,000. It's a very small amount of money with Ryan McKenna. 
But for Jorge Mateo, they agreed to right around his projection. He will make $2.7 million from the Orioles in 2024. And that was a reason why we thought maybe he could be non-tendered because you know, the Orioles aren't paying a lot of guys a lot of money. Do they want to spend $3 million on Jorge Mateo to, at best, be a utility bench player, pinch runner, defensive replacement? That was kind of the question for the Orioles. But so far, they've stuck with these guys. Now, just because they handed out numbers to those four players and just because they've tendered contracts to all 17 of these guys doesn't guarantee they're going to be on the Orioles next year. In fact, it doesn't even guarantee they're going to make it to spring training still on the Orioles 40-man roster. Everything that can happen throughout an offseason, a trade, a DFA, it can happen after the non-tender deadline. Essentially, why the Orioles would give these guys this money for next year and then down the road still decide, well, we're going to DFA him is because just right now, they didn't feel the need to lose him. The Orioles have four open spots at the moment on the 40-man roster. So you didn't need to clear space here to start signing or trading for players. They recouped all 17 of these guys and still have those four open spots. So it wasn't necessary to make the move now. And if they still do, you know, find a trade partner or DFA or whatever it may be, you're going to have to pay less than this money anyway. However, that is kind of why these decisions are made now. And it does not mean, hey, they believe in Ryan McKenna or they believe in Keegan Aiken to be a piece next year or Sam Hilliard is definitely going to be on the roster next season. That's not what any of this means. Now, the other 13 players the Orioles tendered a contract to, but were not yet able to come to an agreement. Now, basically, the two sides have about two months now for these other 13 players to decide on a number. They will negotiate with these players and try to come to an agreement for their salary in 2024. There's about a mid-January deadline for these arbitration numbers. If the two sides, the team and the player, can't come to an agreement by that mid-January date, then they do go to that third party. They go to arbitration. The Orioles submit a number. The player submits a number. And then the third party decides which number that player will make in 2024. Those 13 players who they did tender a contract to, which means unless they're traded or DFA, they will be back with the Orioles next year. But they haven't agreed to a number they'll make yet. Are Austin Hayes, Cedric Mullins, and Anthony Santander in the outfield. Ryan Mountcastle, Ramon Arias, Ryan O'Hearn in the infield. Danny Coulomb, Cole Irvin, John Means, CNL Perez, Dylan Tate, Jacob Webb, and Tyler Wells were all the pitchers that they tendered a contract to as well. Now, again, this doesn't mean a lot for the offseason. It just means these players are sticking around for now. But I will say, what it does tell us is most likely, I mean, there could be a couple of these players that don't end up on the O's next year. But what it most likely means is the Orioles' payroll, just with the arbitration raises, and this is something Mike Elias has talked about, over the last few months, it's like when he gets asked about raising payroll, he says, well, you know, arbitration is going to raise our payroll. And it's an annoying answer, but it's, it's not wrong. Arbitration raises alone are going to raise the Orioles' team payroll by about $25 million from 2023 to 2024. So without signing anyone else, making any other trades, it's going to bump up $25 million. And now on the flip side, it's gone down, right? You're not paying the $10 million to Kyle Gibson. You're not paying the $8 million to Adam Frazier. So with the free agents leaving, it kind of does even out a little bit. But that's only right now. When you assume the Orioles will go out and spend some money on some free agents and spend some money acquiring players via trade, the payroll will be higher. No doubt about it in 2024 the question of course still remains how much higher and can they get it to a like truly competitive level within major league baseball 
But that was what the O's did, right? They just decided, hey, we're going to hold on to these guys for now. And I kind of like that, right? Like, I wouldn't mi- have minded to see Keegan Aiken, right, or Sam Hilliard or Ryan McKenna, right, non-tendered at this point. Like, it wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world. They probably would have tried to re-sign some of them on minor league deals anyway. That's what a lot of teams do with their non-tendered guys. But it's kind of nice that, hey, the Orioles weren't splitting hairs over Sam Hilliard's 800000 right, or Keegan Aiken's 825000 The bar is on the floor, but it at least seems like John Angelos has cleared that low bar, maybe a tiny step forward in him not being the cheapest owner you can imagine. A little bit of a you know silver John Angelos lining out of this news. But even though the Orioles tendered contracts to all 17 of their arbitration-eligible players. That doesn't mean every team did it. There were a good amount of non-tenders on Friday, players that were sent into free agency earlier than they thought. And the Orioles, like many teams, are now scouring those lists to see, all right, which of these new free agents could be kind of cheap bounce-back candidates that we could look to bring in? Well, I've got a list of pitchers and a list of hitters who could be interesting for the Orioles among the guys who are non-tendered, and we'll talk about who they are coming up next. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. Now, you all know it, the NFL season is here. Another big win for the Ravens on Thursday night, sitting in first place in the AFC North, and you can score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. And right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's 150 bucks just if your team wins. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season with FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. So as the non-tender deadline passed on Friday, I talked about this on the mailbag episode last week. Really, once you get through the non-tenders, you get an extra group of free agents out there, and that really sets fully, okay, who's going to be available that we can sign this offseason? And because of that, most teams will wait before making signings until that whole list is out there. And it kind of proved true, right? Friday night, we get the non-tenders, and then finally our first big free agent signing comes through on Sunday. Aaron Nola who I would have loved for the Orioles to go after, but as we know from John Angelos, he is not paying that much money for a starting pitcher, has re-signed with the Phillies. Seven years, $175 million for Aaron Nola. The Orioles weren't paying that. So good on the Phillies, bringing back one of their top arms where it looked like, you know, their extension talks throughout the year had kind of fizzled. It seemed like he was signing somewhere else, but nice job by the Phillies to kind of recoup that relationship and bring back Aaron Nola. So hopefully... That starts kind of the dominoes here. Probably won't because the week of Thanksgiving, things are a little quieter, and it'll probably be quieter until the winter meetings start on December 3rd. But there are some new free agents out there, all of these newly non-tendered players. And I wanted to start by looking at some of the pitchers who intrigued me that are now out there that the Orioles could pursue 
in free agency. First of them is Albert Abreu. We've seen him a lot, right-handed reliever for the New York Yankees. The 28-year-old had a 4.73 ERA in 59 innings for the Yankees this year. 23% strikeout rate, pretty good. A concerning 13% walk rate, and that is why the Yankees non-tendered him. He had a 3.26 ERA in 2022, but took a step back this season. Now he throws a really hard sinker, right? 97-98 with the sinker, and a really, really good slider that opponents hit 109 against. If a team can figure out the command a little bit, he could continue to be a pretty good major league reliever. So maybe the O's would take a swing there. Adam Simber is another AL East foe who was non-tendered by the Blue Jays, 33-year-old, basically submarine right-hander who just kind of fell off a cliff this year. 21 innings only for the Blue Jays bullpen and had a 7.40 ERA. It was weird for Simber because that was after multiple years with Cleveland and Toronto where he had just been great out of the bullpen. You go back to 2022, he threw 70 innings and had a 2.80 ERA for the Blue Jays bullpen just two years ago. But something fell apart this year. I mean, the sinker was still good, kept the ball on the ground, you know, an average negative seven degree launch angle against the sinker. Opponents hit only 185 against it. Like his stuff was a little down, but he doesn't really throw very hard. His command was a little down as well. But generally, I don't really know what happened with Adam Simber. But the fact that he's a submarine reliever generally means you can pitch effectively a little bit longer as a reliever. So I think there's still some left in the tank there. And maybe the O's would look at that. Now, in terms of funky deliveries, Penn Murphy, the right-hander who was non-tendered by the Braves after he was DFA'd by the Mariners a few weeks ago. This is a guy that I think the Orioles could really go after. Now, he only threw 14 innings this season for the Mariners, did have a 1.29 ERA, but a very small sample size. But if you go back to 2022, he was a huge part of that amazing Mariners bullpen that got them back to the playoffs for the first time in 20 years. He threw 69 innings and had a 2.99 ERA for the 2022 Mariners bullpen. You can kind of see the trend here. Guys who were really good two years ago, kind of fell off this year, got non-tenders, and could be bounce-back candidates. He's still got this, I mean, he throws sidearm, basically, as a right-hander, has this ridiculous sweeper. That sweeper, opponents hit just, this is a real number, 035 against that pitch this year with a 41% swing and miss rate. I think Penn Murphy could be a big league bullpen piece for the O's if they go and get him. Michael Tonkin is another one, 34-year-old right-handed reliever who was non-tendered by the Braves. They brought him back to the big leagues, hadn't pitched in the big since 2017, was pitching internationally. Braves brought him back this season, and he was just like a solid innings-eating reliever. 80 innings out of the bullpen, one of the top throwing relievers in baseball, and a 4-2-8 ERA. There was a sinker that's all right. His slider is pretty good, but he's just a guy who, he's a veteran, he's going to throw you a lot of innings and can help if other guys are young or get injured Tonkin could be a, a helpful guy there. Next one is the 27-year-old left-hander Josh Fleming, another guy who Orioles fans should be pretty familiar with. He was with the Tampa Bay Rays for years and years, and he was with Tampa this year, ended up getting DFA late in the season by the Rays, and had a 4.70 ERA in 57 innings this year for the Rays. Wasn't as good as he's been recently, but you remember back to his rookie year in 2020, he was awesome, and he still gets a crazy amount of ground balls. A 62% ground ball rate is like coming up on Yinyer Cano levels of ground balls that he gets, so I think still an effective pitcher. Maybe not a starter anymore, probably more of a reliever. He was a starter early on with the Rays, but could be a useful arm. Angel Perdomo is one of the big ones. Perdomo, left-handed pitcher, 29 years of age, been with the Pittsburgh Pirates 
was non-tendered after he was DFA'd, picked up by the Braves, and then non-tendered there. 3.72 ERA in 29 innings out of the Pirates' bullpen this year, but he's got some nasty stuff. And he had a 38% strikeout rate to just a 9% walk rate. Those are absurdly good strikeout-to-walk numbers for a reliever. 94-mile-per-hour fastball has a good swing-and-miss rate. Opponents hit just 111 against his slider this year. He hasn't really had like a full big league season yet. He's been with the Brewers and the Pirates over the last couple of years. Hasn't quite found a regular role, but that stuff is nasty from the left side. Definitely someone I could see the O's taking a flyer on. And then the last one is by far the biggest name that was non-tendered this week, and that is Brandon Woodruff, the star starting pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers, who dealt with some injuries this year. But in his 11 starts when he was healthy, had a 2.28 ERA as kind of Milwaukee's number two starter. He was coming back late in the year. He returned. He looked good. He was ready to be set in that Brewers playoff rotation along with Corbin Burns and Freddie Peralta. And then basically last week of the regular season, he comes down with a shoulder injury. They say he's going to miss the playoffs. All of a sudden, he gets surgery this offseason. And we're not quite sure what the final result's going to be. But the initial reports from the surgery was Woodruff is going to miss the entire 2024 season. Now, Woodruff himself has come out and said, actually, you know, I have a feeling I could be back at some point shortly after the All-Star break, maybe by early August. So he's thinking he could at least give a team two months next season. Some people think he could be out the whole year. Either way, shoulder injuries are scary. At this point in baseball, honestly, they are scarier for pitchers than elbow injuries are because Tommy John is kind of somewhat easily fixed at this point. Shoulder injuries are not. They can completely zap your velocity. But if he is anywhere close to the Brandon Woodruff he was pre-injury, this is like an elite starting pitcher. This is a top-of-the-rotation guy who's had an ERA around three for the last three or four years, right at the top along with Corbin Burns, of that Brewers rotation. Now, the reason he got non-tendered is he was going to be due about, you know, 15, 18, 20 million dollars. And he is a free agent after 2024. Next year was going to be his last year before he hit free agency. So the Brewers said, we think at best you're going to give us six weeks of pitching and there's a chance you won't pitch at all. There's kind of no need for us to pay you to do nothing, especially a pretty cheap team in the Brewers who's kind of going through a little bit of an overhaul right now. So they non-tender him. Now the team that goes and gets him is almost certainly going to be giving out a two-year contract, right? You're not going to give out a one-year deal to a guy who might not even pitch at all. But what Woodruff will be looking for is a two-year deal in free agency where if he's healthy, he can pitch, you know, those final two months, maybe six weeks of the 2024 season, and then get paid to pitch a fully healthy 2025, show that he's healthy, and then try to cash in on his big deal after the 2025 season. There's going to be no better chance out there for the Orioles in free agency to go get a top-of-the-line starting pitcher. Yes, it's risky because there's a chance that he does miss all of 24 and isn't himself when he comes back in 25. But I think the Orioles should still take the risk on Brandon Woodruff because, listen, the downside is doesn't pitch much for you, isn't super effective, whatever. He shouldn't be that expensive. But if it works out and he's, even if he doesn't pitch next year, if he's good Brandon Woodruff in 2025, that is a steal for the Orioles they should go make that move. Now, the O's, we know, are mostly going to be interested in pitchers this offseason. So I spent a lot more time on which pitchers were non-tender that were interesting. But there are a few bats out there that maybe I could see the Orioles going after who were non-tendered on Friday. And we'll talk about those guys to finish off the pod coming up next. 
So with the non-tender deadline having passed and some new free agents out there for teams to sign, there were a lot of interesting pitchers who I just talked about for the Orioles, but also some somewhat intriguing hitters. And we know the Orioles aren't going to be as motivated to go get position players. They've got so many good young ones on this team and in this system right now. But I have a feeling, and I've said this multiple times on the pod, they're going to at least sign one veteran hitter just to have in that clubhouse and have on this team and bring him in in free agency this offseason. And a couple of guys I was just looking at who were non-tendered. Juan Yepes of the Cardinals, who was like a big power hitting, you know, first base slash corner outfielder guy who tore it up in AAA two years ago, came up to the big leagues, had a 107 WRC+, plus, was pretty good in 2022, then kind of fell off a cliff, had some injuries this year in AAA and the big leagues. That's why he was non-tendered. Maybe if he's healthy, the O's could find that swing again. There's not a lot of space for him on the major league roster, but he's an interesting piece. Luis Guillorme is another one, guy who's been with the Mets for years now as a utility infielder, left-handed hitter, has a good batter's eye, doesn't chase a lot out of the strike zone, had a really down offensive year this year with the Mets, which is why he was non-tendered. But again, could be an interesting piece to come in and compete for an infield role in spring training. And then really the last three names I looked at for hitters were three first basemen. And yes, the Orioles have Ryan Mountcastle and Ryan O'Hearn and Heston Kerstad and Anthony Santander, all on their 40-man roster, all going to be vying for at-bats that they've earned in the 2024 season. But as we've seen from the O's the past couple of years, they are looking for another first base option, and they brought in you know the, the Lewin Diaz's and the Franchi Cordero's and the Ryan O'Hearn's and the Curtis Terry's, and it ended up that O'Hearn stuck in the bigs and Diaz stuck in AAA Norfolk, and it fairly worked out for the O's last year. I could see them at the very least on a minor league deal bringing in another guy like that to compete, maybe make the team, and at worst accept a AAA assignment and be down there in Norfolk if you need him. And the three names out there that were non-tender were Mike Ford, who had an okay year with the Mariners, hit a home run off Felix Bautista, gets on base. Rowdy Telez, kind of a down year for him with the Brewers as the first baseman, but the last couple of years has been a pretty productive hitter in the middle of the Milwaukee order. And Dan Vogelback, who has been with the Mariners, been with the Pirates, he was with the Mets this year, an on-base machine who hits for a little power, can't really run very well, but... He's an interesting hitter to have in your lineup in kind of a platoon role so long you don't let him face lefties. But just three guys out there who, you know, maybe the O's could go after on like a minor league deal, give them an invite to big league spring training and let them try and, hey, you know, compete for a job for the Orioles. And, and hey, you never know, right? Ryan O'Hearn, even though he didn't even make the opening day roster, got here for good in May and we saw how good he was for the Orioles in 2023. But that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, if you have any questions about the non-tender deadline, about arbitration, about the off-season free agency, really feel free to email the show. I probably don't talk about this enough. We use the email for mailbag questions, obviously, but you may have noticed if you follow the podcast on Twitter, I've kind of been taking a full break from Twitter. There's too much going on on there. It's not good to be on there a lot of the time. So on both my personal and the Locked on Orioles Twitter account, I've been taking mostly a break popping on from time to time uh, to maybe answer a DM or you know tweet out the episode link. But generally, not really on Twitter on Locked on Orioles right now. So if you have mailbag questions right for future mailbags, or if you have thoughts on the Orioles, questions about the O's, whatever it may be, email us, lockedonorioles at gmail.com, or put the questions right here in the YouTube comments and make sure to like, comment, and subscribe 
to the Locked On Orioles YouTube page. If you have DM'd me on Twitter and I haven't gotten back to you, most likely is because I haven't really been on the platform in about a week or so. So again, send in your questions, LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com or put them right here in the comment section of the Locked On Orioles YouTube page. But that's it for today. We are back tomorrow. Got a mailbag coming up on tomorrow's episode, answering your Orioles questions. And then we've got a couple more episodes the rest of the week, most likely with Thanksgiving. Only four episodes this week. Going to be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then either Thursday or Friday. We will take one day off this week. We'll have a couple more weeks of five days a week. And then once we get into December a little bit more, the podcast will cut down to three days a week, mostly Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for the off season. But I'll keep you updated on what's happening there with the pod. Either way, back tomorrow with a mailbag episode. Until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.